So I'm just in here preparing early, getting everything all sorted. Sue, can you hear me? Can you um, send me a note in the chat to let me know if you I can, can hear me? you? Yes. You can hear me. Okay, perfect. Yes. Thank you. Oh, always first in to help me out. I love you dearly. <laughs> I just want to make sure everything was working right. And let me unmute you. Oh, it's not showing you as muted. Okay. Oh, maybe I can't hear you. I have this new, because this is a webinar, I have a new microphone. Oh. Perhaps it's making the microphone is cancelling out me being able to hear anyone. So okay. I apologise. I can't hear what you're saying. Um, I'm just going to recording. Here we go. Good morning from Australia, everyone. How are you? I'm looking forward to today's session. I'm just going to share screen for you so we can get this uh, share. All right, so this is uh, the webinar that we're going to have today. It's just going to be a little short one. I have a, a very snazzy new microphone that my son gave me for my birthday this year and as a consequence because this is the very first time I'm using it this is one of the habits that I have it's like don't test anything just jump in and it is not allowing anyone to be able to speak so a couple of people came in early and I wanted to chat chat with them but I can't hear them so there will be questions in at the end uh, if you want to, uh, we're going to play it by ear. It'll either be get them ready and type them into chat and I will read the chat or I will rip this sucker out and we will use the dodgy sound system through my desktop. <laughs> okay. So our topic today is why people pleasers can't just stop pleasing. So, you know, when people around us we start the process and the you know let's use for example just say no and somebody says to you just say no just just say no if somebody wants to tell you how to do something or make you do something just say no one of the things that happens that a non-people pleaser isn't aware of is the actual <gasps> energy feeling visceral panic that you've internalized, that it makes it physically, emotionally, spiritually impossible in some cases to be able to say no. And what I've found in my experience is that our value system kicks in. So let's introduce me. For those who are new to me and my work, I'm Amanda, Amanda Foy. I am a people pleaser, albeit recovered or slash recovering, because one of the aspects of people pleasing is it's an ongoing evolution away from a behavior. In 2009, after a 21-year corporate career in international and domestic large industries and exciting industries, I moved into my own business and created 
a concept called the Emotional Strength Training Program Possibilities, all about helping people understand a thing called the trio of health. My philosophy, which is the trio of health that I've been living personally since 1985, is that trauma makes you sick. And the premise of people pleasing and where I'm going to take you on this uh, educational journey is that people pleasing is actually a trauma response. Now, if that statement sits there and smacks you in the face, because you may be like me, you may have had a good childhood growing up, you may have had parents who never fought, you may have been questioning, why the hell am I a people pleaser? Or am I just a nice person? There are many aspects to people pleasing that need to be taken into account because it is a trauma response, okay? And today I'm going to help you separate out a couple of questions with the way I have found the patterns since 2009, okay? So the 10 top things that define people-pleasing as per the psychology books and all of that. So this is the, the thing that's the most probably one of the most important. People-pleasing isn't a new concept. People-pleasing has been documented in psychology, psychiatry, neurosciences uh, for eons. In 2014 a new term was added into the trauma responses, which links people pleasing into the trauma response in a very definitive way. So these are the 10 things that um, psychology and all of the textbooks define people pleasing as a need for approval and validation, needing a sense of belonging, it's a uh, hypervigilance around maintaining relationships. We will avoid conflict at any cost. We need to feel valued and we also help others feel valued with our choices and behaviours by putting ourselves last and making them feel more valued than, than they think possible. We please to gain trust in others this is me, you can trust me, we go over and above in all aspects of everything so people can see that we're a worthy person to have in their life. We love being seen as to be helpful and we love it. All of our synapses, our uh, dopamine hits when we make people happy. We love boosting other people's self-esteem so when you hear that good girl that also helps to boost our self-esteem. And we love helping people to achieve their personal goals because that's a personal goal of a people pleaser to help others feel this way. Now, here's what I understand to be a part of this process and, and through my own process. So I, I will remind you often on this journey we're going together with what is people pleasing I, I am, have been, people-pleasing has ruined my life. People-pleasing has made me the person I am today. When I decided that was it, everything changed. I was forced to put myself first. 
And what I want to encourage you to do through this process and, the, and this pathway that I've created is to give you permission to put yourself first safely. All of these things from one to 10, what we're actually doing is showcasing to people how we would like to be treated. Here, let me show you how to approve and validate. Here, let me show you how you belong here. You know, I have the ABCs of, of people pleasing or approval, belonging and connection. And the, the fourth letter of the alphabet being V, validation. So I remember when I was uh, a little girl, we, uh, I grew up on the north side of Brisbane back in the day, back in the 70s, where no one had front fences. And I'm the eldest of my generation. I am the eldest in my family. And I was given responsibility uh, to a high degree from the time I was 17 months old when my, my sister arrived. And one of the, the things that I used to love doing, because I also was blessed with the most incredible grandmother. She had the most amazing garden and flowers. And actually my granddad was the same. I don't know whether you can see, I've got some orchids here, a, a gift from a wonderful friend that um, is from my life with my granddad with his orchids. And when I started school, I liked to go and get bunches of flowers to give to my teachers. And I had, there was this man across the road, Mr. Smithy, and he was a rose enthusiast. So he had all of these gardens everywhere with so many roses and he lived on his own. And I remember my brain chugging along and thinking, he's one man and his garden is full of roses. I wonder if he'd let me have a couple for my teachers. Now, in primary school, I was back in the day when it was grade one to grade seven. And of all, I had fabulous teachers except for grade four, Mrs. Schmidt, stupid old cow she was. And the reason why I don't like her is because she humiliated me in front of everyone. So there was a line in the sand of no people pleasing for you or nice flowers from Mr. Smithy. So <laughs> I got this amazing bunch of flowers at least once a week from Mr. Smith and he used to wrap up the, the thorns or pull the thorns off for me and we'd put the wet paper towel and the squish the alfoil around the bottom and we just lived around the school, uh, the corner from the school. So I'd totter off to the teacher and I didn't give a toss about what anyone else said about me beelining my teacher to let her know that I liked her, I appreciated her, I was helpful, I was kind, I was generous. The smile on her face when she got these flowers and then the smelling them, oh, these are beautiful, you must have such a lovely garden and having to explain about Mr Smithy. Then my grandmother moved across the road, I think I was about grade three or grade four, and she, her garden was full of gerberas and then there, she had subsistence living. So there were gooseberries and she used to make her own loofers. So there was an all manner of stuff that I was able to give people to let them know that I was worth being kind to or nice to or that I was a good girl. So you have those kind of things show up in your life 
as the evidence that you're going to gain of how to tell if you're people pleasing or if you are masking your behaviors as part of a value system. Now, as you roll through your life and you start to do your personal development, you'll learn about love languages and all of those sorts of things and giving presents and things. But when you come into that space of why am I choosing these behaviours and you understand the neurology and the brain chemistry that kicks in, this is how we can join the dots to whether it's a trauma response or a value system. So let's talk a little bit about the science. I'm not sure whether you can see here clearly on the pictures, but every one of these pictures I've got has got a line and a dot, a line and a dot, a line and a dot. There is a science associated to the theory that I live by, which is uh, trauma makes you sick. And as I mentioned, that concept came into my life in 1985 when I was 14 years old. I'm 52 now, and I've been living this way ever since. Everything just went clunk for me when, when I learned about what it meant. So science is uh, trying to catch up. <laughs> and as you know, anyone that's new to me, I'm, I'm science friendly. I'm medically friendly, and there's a really important reason why. But in aspects there are some pretty big limits associated to where science gets people. And then because this is the way we've always done it, it can stop healing in its tracks. And that's what I'm uh, hoping to achieve with this pathway that, pathway that I've created is that it's going to add in an extra element that you didn't know about or weren't aware of and give you the ability to ask some extra questions so that you can start to make massive inroads because this new information has come in. So the science is called neuropsychoimmunology, and it is a concept that there is a part of the brain that is connected and that the brain chemistry connected with psychological issues of trauma impact the immune system. There's some doctors that have been around for a really long time, actually, that talk about the ACE measurement, the adverse childhood experiences measurement. And they have theorised that if a child has a certain kind of um, uh, interaction with the different traumas, it can give you a scale on your chances of heart disease or um, autoimmune disease or kidney disease, those sorts of things. The one thing that the ACE measurement hasn't brought into the equation is drilling it down to what part of the body and what emotion and how that can be worked on. And that's a part, that's part of the missing um, part of the puzzle of what my emotional strength training work brings to the table. And there is a plethora of science associated to how stress chemicals are linked to burnout and, and everything on the way, all the way to cancer. Okay. So that's the science behind what we're doing. It doesn't go, I don't go too much into the science because it's already existing. This is as well as the science and then putting things into a puzzle that makes sense for you as an individual rather than a cookie cutter approach. So my uh, 
way of looking at the trauma is, and if you see this picture here again, dot, line, dot, line. A trauma occurs in a developing brain. So this is a concept of how um, I believe people-pleasing can be mapped back to a trauma. Trauma means different things to different people, okay? So if the word trauma is bothering you, I'll just ask you to pop it up into a box and we'll come back to it. I'm not labelling anyone because trauma has a great deal of definitions. A trauma occurs in a developing brain, so a little person, an infant even, and that infant or child has no tools to rationalise what's happening. They're, we're children, right? We, we don't know. We're not adults. As things start to happen, we make up age-appropriate stories about what we've seen, heard or experienced. And because that brain is underdeveloped and remembering a, a brain will be fully developed in a woman, 24 to 26, and in a man, 26 to 28, okay? So this trauma gets locked into a sequence that begins to run a narrative. So you may have heard of the term neural pathways or synapses. I see them energetically in the body when I'm working with clients one-on-one. -on -one. These circuits create behaviours and that's part of the reason why a people pleaser can't just stop pleasing or can't just say no or just can't stand up for themselves because these trauma responses with the circuits and links are running a narrative through the body that says danger will Robinson okay so this is where the bingo card's going to come in all right I'm going to stop sharing here and I'm just going to get up my worksheet. All right, so even if you don't have the, the bingo card, if you want to get a pen and a tally paper, or you can use your fingers because anything over 10, you're in the people pleaser category. Okay, so I'm going to read out some things that are going to describe people pleasers. Uh, let me see here. All righty. Here we go. Were you ever described as mature for your age when you were a child? Were you always pegged as the responsible one? Did you care for any of your siblings or parents? Are you somebody who over explains anything or everything to strangers even? You cannot say no without giving an excuse. You can't receive a compliment. You avoid conflict in any way possible. That was a was and in some ways still is for me, but I have a, um, a tool that I use to make sure that I can handle conflict anyway, because this is the thing, you know, this pathway that I've created, it truly is a grounded process because life is going to do life the only way it knows how. We need tools. We don't need to run away or look for rainbows. Do you constantly worry about hurting other people's feelings? 
when someone says or does something that upsets your world, do you worry about upsetting them if you tell them? Do you clam up instead of disagreeing? Say yes if you feel powerless to say no. Your dreams and goals sound a lot like as long as you're happy, I'm happy. You struggle with perfectionist issues. You are a perfectionist. You project your worst case scenarios of, oh, I bet you they're thinking this. I bet if I say that, they'll think this or say that. I can't possibly go and ask my boss for a pay rise because he'll think I'm a burden on the business and, and I'll lose my job. Can't put my prices up. I'll never get any clients anymore. Uh, do you believe if you can't say something nice, don't say something, don't say anything at all? You never feel good enough. You're the one that pays the bill after a coffee date or a meal. Your I should factors into a great deal of your internal and external dialogue. Obligation is a constant companion. Changing the subject from what you're going through because someone's behaviour because of someone's behaviour, because you know their backstory, and that means someone's being a right sod in your life, but you know they had a, a hard childhood, so you go into compassion for their hard luck story at the expense of your emotional health. You believe that hurt people hurt people and killing them with kindness is a coping mechanism. You're always the one to volunteer. You're always the one to help out and know that when it's your turn, no one will be there to help you out. And that one's like for the, for the women watching today um, and listening to the replay, your Tupperware party or your, <laughs> what's one of those clothing things where they need people to sign up so you help the host get all of the bonuses, but then you're stuck with having a party while Everyone that's already been there has already bought all their stuff. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Never makes a decision because you could get crucified or blamed. Always says yes to more tasks at work and never asks for an increase or takes time off. You know, I've got a list here that goes all the way up to 5960. Fraud mentality is the last one. How are we going? How many boxes have you ticked so far? Put your number in the chat for me there. You know, these are all things that formulated part of my life at some point or other. Oh, Sue, 19. Wow. All of them. You know, this, this, is where, <laughs> this is where I sit here. Hello, Prue. Oh, my goodness, 25, all of them. 16 solid lines, dash lines I'm transforming, all but one. <laughs> Can we just take a moment for ourselves? Just honestly, actually, on, let's do that. Let's take a nice deep breath in with the nose and then out through the nose. Don't go out through the mouth. I'll explain why. Let's just ground ourselves back now. Good, Charlene, good. Uh, to, I'm covered in goosebumps. Okay. 
I learned uh, through the pandemic, you know how people say big deep breath in and out through the mouth, that can induce a panic response in the brain chemistry. Don't do it. <laughs> we have to train ourselves in through the nose, out through the nose uh, slowly. Okay, so let's go back into uh, sharing the screen. We shall move on from that list. Uh, where are we? Here we go, share. Okay. So this then represents the greatest challenge associated with what I want to teach you today. How can I tell if I'm in a trauma response or if this is my value system? And the only way you can do that is by clearing out the gunk that has built all of these neural pathways in your life that are running the narrative that are forcing you to look at things a certain way. So as I mentioned earlier, trauma means different things to different people. Not all trauma is created equally. When uh, my sister was born, so I was born in um, 1971, back in the good old days, I'm a Gen Xer. And if you're a Gen Xer, say so in the, in the chat room, you will know that we were left to a lot of devices. And it's also why, um, you know, part of reason why science needs to also, it, and it does actually, it stays with the time, but one of the times it needs to stay with is to bring folks like me that join DOTS and have energy therapies and things in there as well. So I was born in 71. The doctor told my mum it was fine to smoke through her pregnancy. There was no evidence that it was dangerous to a child. So I arrived, no problem. And then 17 months later, my sister arrived with bronchial asthma. So what I want to share with you is the, the concept of overt trauma and covert trauma. Overt trauma meaning it's really easy to identify a trauma in your life and covert trauma not so much. And covert trauma can also be masked a lot by conditioning. So as it turns out in my life, my parents were narcissist codependent relationship, but there are a lot of... Um, valid circumstances associated to why they presented the way they did in their life. And then the soul agreement part, which is all of the things we cover in the pathway in the people pleaser recovery room is to help build a picture that yes, brings the facts into play, but then it stops at focusing on who they are, what they chose and comes back to you because you're the one like put in the in the chat for me on a scale of one to ten if you do identify as a people pleaser or you're recognizing some elements in your life your relationship with suffering people pleasing robs us of so many different elements of our life because we haven't got to know who we are at the core of who we are and understand our value systems or whether we're just in coping mechanism. So I want to give you an example. Uh, I was 17 months old when my sister was born. She was born with bronchial asthma. She was jaundiced. And my parents were, so they were 21, 23 when I was born, 23, 25 when they were born. Both of my parents' brain hadn't fully grown when they had two children under two. And the story that I heard a lot 
uh, as I was growing up is that they had to take turns in pummeling the or patting the back of my sister in order to get her to cough up the gunk in, in her lungs so she didn't choke or um, stop breathing. Now, as a 17-month-old who had her own needs and wanted things and probably tired and hungry and all of those sorts of things, um, that could have possibly been the start of my people-pleasing journey because I do know mum said to me the minute my sister came home, I'd, my brain just switched, mum needs the nappies. So my sole agreement and how, how, who I was as a child was to be helpful, don't make more work. And then Raquel being sick, it was then bang, 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 bang. So you can see that this is the pathways that get born. And then in a, in a discussion we'll have in the recovery room, it's that it can go back in utero as well. If, you're, if your parents are still alive and you're able to explain or join the dots to who they were, You'll, you'll get a bigger picture, okay? So you can imagine me, imagine yourself, 17 months old, standing there watching them pummel and perhaps uh, my father was at work and mum was doing her shift and I needed, I was hungry or something, and then she was stressed because my sister might have been coughing an awful lot or it wasn't coming up, and she brushed me off. Your sister is sick, don't bother me. You know, these are the things where I had a need and it was diminished, so the neural, the dot, starts. And then another piece of evidence. You know, Brené Brown saying, don't look for evidence where you don't belong because you'll always find it. This is the energetic evidence of that. And there are things that you won't be able to actually tap back into. But as with things that I've created in the recovery room, there will be things that can access things that may have been too old and we cut ties with them. So every one of those bingo items that you ticked, a fear was created at some point in your life by someone else who knew better than you and they chose not to be. And that choice affected your ability to maintain relationships successfully. That's what people-pleasing is. You are a hypervigilant relationship maintainer because you have a story or a narrative that you haven't been accepted you don't feel like you belong you are lacking connection and validation you are achieving all of these things by being this for other people and hearing the good girl or good boy the highest part of the highest representation in people pleasers is people with burnout and this is why I created the People Pleaser Recovery Room and where the missing piece of the puzzle starts to become glaringly obvious. You know, in, I'm, I'm addicted to information. So I'm a, one of those people that's always reading, always researching. I have thousands, literally thousands of hours since I was 14 about reading about this stuff and joining the dots and seeing the patterns. And I'll show you a slide in a minute. That has helped me feel validated in this process and having been doing this work since 2009 officially the biggest challenge for people pleasers is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results and this is why it's impossible for a people pleaser to just stop pleasing you know 
if you've grown up in a home where there was abuse, if you have the overt trauma story, you can easily identify where the trauma existed in your life. One of the things that we do as children is the parent might be nice and you, you're living in that constant state of hope. So it's like, oh, we're, we're going to have a good day today. Mum's happy or dad's happy. It's the same if, if you've gone into the evolution of attracting narcissistic people into your life and they may have a good day and you think, oh, everything that you've ever wanted has come back on track. So you've got this battle going on with the cortisol that creates the stress and then the dopamine because you've done something that keeps them happy. Bang, bang, bang. And that's, that's where the hypervigilance comes in. It's why mainstream techniques aren't quite getting people over the line. Or if you if you read some books and or the people that are psychologists, you know, they're working for people for five years weekly before they sit there and think it's okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. Talk therapy is a very important part. But I have found this element, which was born in my life in actually 2005, it came into my life. And everything changed and it was just one of those moments where the whole thing that I'd been living since I was 20 uh, since I was 14 just made sense so all of those things on your bingo card create your storyboard and you can see here in the element and in the image the line with the dots and all of those dots as well are the cells that house the trauma so this is a question, you know, like how does a cancer patient know at the moment when the cancer, why did the cancer choose the lungs? Why did the cancer choose the breasts? Why are the, the people with that are people pleasers have the one of the highest represent, representations of chronic fatigue? All of these things will be answering in the people pleaser recovery room. So this is the trauma response, uh, the trauma uh, responses. Yes, fight, flight, freeze. And then in 2014, Peter Walker coined the term to fawn. And this is why on your bingo list, all of those things, you're fawning. It is a coping mechanism to maintain relationships so you stay safe. And that is a key part of everything. That workbook, if you like, if you... Um, if you loaded it up or if you've printed it off and are writing on it, maintaining relationships, trauma response. They're the two things that are, are dictating why you are a people pleaser. And we need to join the dots through a series of things and then use energy cutting ties to break the patterns. I'm calling it voice vibration therapy now because there's science behind vibration and how it can help a healing process. 2004, a woman came into my life and we were, we'd made really good friends. And she said to me one day, you should have a Reiki session. And I said, okay. So we had a Reiki session and I was lying there and she started the process and she was the one, a kind that did the talking. And she started saying this stuff to me 
about my life that I had never told a soul. Never. No one knew this thing that had been keeping me company since I was probably 23, 24. And it was the premise of it that um, I'd, I'd made a decision, really poor decision in a relationship, and thought that God was going to get me through my children. And when she spoke it, I just sobbed. I'm not a public crier. I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And then three days later, it felt like my whole world had changed. And that was the start of my journey into understanding how energy therapies can set you free. And that's the thing that's going to underpin everything and the mainstream teachings, the joining the dots, building a picture to help you get back to your value system and also clear away the trauma that is dictating why you keep staying in the patterns. So what we're going to do in the, in the recovery room is we cover the present. What are you, where are you today? What do you believe to be true? We're going to go back and look at your past as your worst examples of people pleasing and the anatomy of those incidents. We will have a look at your parents and it's very important to know and understand. This is not a blame game. It is what it is. You know, not with me. We can't change anything that's already happened. But we can understand, we can put it into boxes, we can make the puzzle pieces, we can do the work, we can cut the ties that are, of the story that's running through our body and we can start to make some different choices slowly and small steps so we don't blow up our world. Perceptions, what's your relationship with guilt, shame, obligation and conditioning? What are your principles? When we get to this part of the process, this is where you can truly start to sit there and say, ah, I give people hugs or flowers or leave little notes for them because that's my love language. And you won't sit there and feel guilty or obligated. It will just come naturally. And then one of the biggest parts of this work is the power play. When you understand you're in a fear response and you're looking at a situation and your perception is telling you who has the power in that moment, that's why you'll please, okay? So here is the credentials I want to show you as to why I feel very happy to stand here in front of you today and say I know what I'm talking about. This is a record of the sessions that I have done since 2016 and the quantity of people who've listened. This is the only evidence I can give you legally <laughs> on how I have worked out the patterns. And this is from 2016. I started this work in 2009 and I've been researching it since I was 14. Okay. So I know what I'm looking at when you're overwhelmed is blocking your view. I'm that fresh set of eyes that can come in and help you see and then the community that we're going to build will be able to help each other out as well. After you've helped yourself first, that's a big rule. So does that help you understand to see if you're in a trauma response or if it's your value system that's letting you down? 
that's one of the big questions I want to want you to walk away from today. Okay, so that's the end of the process. What I will do is I'm just going to stop sharing and I am going to give you a link. Before we go into questions, I just want to find that link. Oh, righto. Uh, here we go. Copy. All right. Now, if you would like to read a little bit more about the people pleasing room and everyone in the meeting. Um, you're welcome to jump on there. There is, uh, we're going to kick off everything properly uh, in the first week of March. So we're just going to go in. I've started to share some pointed videos, those sorts of things. So uh, let's have a look. Charlene said, not anymore. 57 years of being told to do stuff and get stuff done. I've walked away from condescending, manipulating family members, people who never thought I would. My life has become so peaceful. That's brilliant that you've said that, Charlene. That's sort of the key. Like if you noticed all of the things, the people pleaser, recovery room, every step of the thing we're going to go through in there, it's all peas. And the biggest thing that I probably should have put, I think, well, have I? I think that is there. Um, yeah, it is. Thank you for pointing that out. Where are we? Let me have a look. Yeah, this one. Pathway to peace through patterns. <laughs> Everybody's going to be learning how to um, people pee. What is it? Peter Piper packed a pack of pickling peppers. If Peter Piper packed a pack of pickling peppers, where are the peppers Peter Piper picked? We are all going to have to be very good <laughs> at our peas. <sighs> okay, so. Any questions? Do you want to type them or shall I have a crack at, uh, you mentioned a workbook. Where would I find that? Okay. Um, I'll send it to you. It was just, when I say workbook, Sue, it was just, um, it was two lines with um, to fill out uh, trauma response and maintaining relationships and then just a little groovy bingo card. So it's not, um, the, the proper pathway book will be, in the thing when we get going on that one, yeah. Um, all right. Does ever anyone have any questions that they want to bring up is to talk about? If you just want to put your hand up, and I'll see if I um if I can do that. Actually, I'll hit. I'll stop the recording. Stop. Are you sure? Yes.